Good morning. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, you have declared your kingdom is among us. Open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, and our hands to serve it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts, chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for that verse, and good morning as I raise the stand. Chris, I don't know how, how you can read It's nice to be with you this morning, and it's an honor to have the chance to address you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence this morning. May all that we do say and think be in glory and honor of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's great to be back in the state of New Hampshire. I flew in uh, last Saturday. My first Sunday speaking was at Hampton Falls. Great to see people here from Hampton Falls. And second Sunday here at Middle Street. So uh, New Hampshire has... Fond memories for us. Actually, 30 years ago, my wife and I left the state of New Hampshire to respond to God's invitation to be missionaries. 30 years ago this summer, we were just talking, we hosted a yard sale in our home in Lancaster, New Hampshire, where I was practicing as a family physician in Lancaster, an ER doctor in Berlin, and assistant uh, medical examiner for Coas County responding to God's obedience to go. We had a yard sale. We sold everything we owned. I wrote a letter of resignation to Anderskonga Valley, Weeks Memorial, and Gorham Family Medicine Practice, and put our house on the market and left this beautiful state. And as Ann was driving here yesterday afternoon, I was thinking, if I was to go back 30 years ago, did I make the right decision? What would life have been like for me if 30 years ago I said, actually, Lord, I like New Hampshire. I like our life here. Thank you very much. I'm sure you can find somebody else to go to Africa. I'm 65. I guess I probably would be retiring. We would have paid off the mortgage, honey, and the nice Victorian 1860 home we owned in Lancaster. Kids would have finished college. I don't think we'd have a camp. I'm not into camps, but we would have been hiking and healthy, and we would have missed everything the Lord had set aside for us. And I'm also thankful that God did not reveal 30 years ago, Chris, what life would be like for us and our three children then, ages one, three, and five, with one on the way, heading to Africa. I'm I'm glad God only lets us know the little pieces. But let me start the story. The story to our call to mission actually happened 42 years ago, 43 years ago. I was 22 years of age. I'm from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I graduated from college at Boston College and wanted to be a mathematics teacher like my father, but I figured I might as well go to Africa to join the Peace Corps to do something unique before I settled down and meet the woman of my dreams. And I joined the Peace Corps and, and, was, and traveled from Yarmouth, 
Massachusetts to Bamako, Mali. Happy to see my friend Mamadou from Senegal. The problem was I didn't realize, Mamadou, that Mali was a French-speaking country, being from Cape Cod. There's this, I'm going to tell an African joke to get started. Mamadou, I don't know about Senegal, but in the Congo where I come from, they call people that speak three languages, they call them trilingual. And they call people that speak two languages bilingual. And they call people that speak one language Americans. (laughs) And that's where I was, heading towards Mali upon graduate from college. And so I had to go to language school. And I got through language school, and I was transferred then to the furthest outpost at Peace Corps Head, because I was the weakest French speaker. They sent me to a, call, uh, to a town called Gao, Mali. Gao is in the Sahara Desert. It's about 100 miles northeast of Timbuktu. And they sent me alone. They usually send you out in twos or threes, but nobody wanted to be with me from the Cape. Didn't speak French. Got to speak math, physics, and chemistry now in French. So I got there, and it was tough. But I stuck through it. But the most difficult part about the Sahara Desert coming from the Cape, there was nothing to do. Not only were there no beaches, there were no restaurants, no ice cream, no electricity, no... Life was pretty boring. Fortunately, a friend had given me some paperback novels because there was nothing else to do after I was to read. And I read those novels over and over again until I picked up a copy of the New Testament that a friend had also given to me that I had never written, never read... I was raised Roman Catholic, loved God, believed in God, even contemplated before I met Anne going into the priesthood. But I never really read the Word of God. And when I read the Word of God that it is by grace we are saved through faith. See, in my religion, I felt that, or I believed that God loved me, but I had to spend my life doing good works. I had to prove my worthiness to God to go to heaven, and I wanted to go to heaven, so I joined the Peace Corps. I figured might as well start at the age of 22 and... And when I read the Word of God and realized that my salvation is not predicated upon anything that I could do, but what God, what Jesus had already done for me, I became like Jeremy and Stephanie, uh, their testimony, I became a newborn believer by faith. Well, great news. I was saved and wonderful, but still pretty much alone in the desert. In the second year... Peace Corps, cognizant of the fact that this guy can finally speak French, felt bad for me because I was alone, and sent a co-worker to be with me in the Sahara Desert. I was the only, Mamadou, I was the only person that looked like me in the desert there, only one that spoke English. And they sent this long, blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman from South Carolina to the desert to teach high school with me. My wife, Ann, was a newborn believer. She had recently come to know Jesus through her, uh, as her Lord and Savior through the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. A lonely guy from Cape Cod in the Sahara Desert, newborn believer, meets a beautiful 24-year-old woman from South Carolina. I remember thinking, Chris, if this is what it's going like, to be like to be a Christian, I'm in. And we started out our journey there. Somewhere along that time, we realized, too, like we discussed this morning, that we weren't baptized. We had been baptized as I grew up Catholic and was Presbyterian. And we one day found, in Mali, Mamadou is a very Muslim country. Uh, no missionaries that, I mean, no, nothing, no organized religion. But one day, there was an itinerant African pastor who was um, passing through town, Pastor Nook, Nuck. And Anne and I were baptized in, the, in a pool of water by the Niger River. 
looking out for hippos and crocodiles. No, that's just a story. But we were baptized. And towards the end of my second year, I don't know how to explain it. I had a distinct, whether it was a vision or a calling, we both sensed a strong calling to be missionaries. I'd never heard of that term. Didn't have missionaries in the Catholic Church. I just, I would wake up in the night, and I just, I really, I sensed God would not stop that calling. I knew that God wanted us to be missionaries. And my fear, ladies and gentlemen, from, from Middle Street Baptist Church, is that God would ask me to be a pastor or a preacher. And God gives us all gifts and skills and public speaking and pastor and was, sorry, Chris, which is not the gift that God had given me. So I had this thought, I had this dream about if I go to medical school, I could become a missionary doctor and I could come back uh, as a missionary. So I remember telling God, <clears throat> excuse me, um, yes. I will come back as a missionary. I'll come back as a missionary doctor if you get me through medical school. I hadn't taken the requisite courses and all that stuff. And yeah, I will be happy to come back. Well, we need to be very careful what we tell God that we'll promise to do. Anne and I came home to the United States, got married in the Southern Baptist Church. I attended medical school in Washington, D.C., in residency, and then came to the state of New Hampshire to pay off my student loans. And the problem, or the reality was, we just loved it here. We loved it. Settled down, bought a home, and was on the school board. I loved my job. Kids ages one, three, and five. And, you know, I wasn't just... I asked God if really that calling was there still. And I remember talking to God. I said, well, what if I just practice for another couple of years to, you know, pay off the home or get experience? And somewhere 30 years ago this summer, God said, Bill and Ann... The time has come. And so we packed up and left the state and were sent to Haiti. We had told God that we would be missionaries to Africa, but he opened the door for us to go to Haiti. And it was, it was pretty good. Uh, we went to a mission hospital there. Um, I had never practiced this type, of, this type of medicine in the state of New Hampshire. We had so many people come to the doors every morning. They just overwhelmed our capacity. So we had to do triage. We had to give t- tickets to people to allow them in the hospital. It was so busy in the tragedy. But I felt like I was doing something really credible until two years later, in the middle of the night, after President Clinton and the United States Naval blockaded the island of Haiti and Operation Uphold Democracy. The, their task was to uphold or replace the current dictator, and within hours there were anti-U.S. demonstrations, our, our hospital was stormed and rocked. In the middle, in, in early that next morning, Ann and I and the three kids were picked up, four kids then, I'm sorry, oh, thank you, we had another child on the way. Now ages six months, two, four, and six, we're put in a little plane and flown to West Palm Beach, Florida. Everything that we had saved from New Hampshire, all our precious things, those things we didn't sell in the yards here 30 years ago, we, we packed up and brought to Haiti for our career. We left them behind, got on a little plane, they dropped us off in West Palm Beach, and the plane went back to get more people. And that was it. And I contemplated very much calling Berlin Hospital Lancaster and getting my job back. But the Lord said, no, Bill, I have other plans. And we decided to give the Lord a second chance. Within months, we were back on the plane, this time to Zaire, to Africa. Wonderful place. Everything that we had wanted. 
My first job there was teaching uh, nursing school. I had forgot all the French that I learned as a Peace Corps volunteer, because now 12 years later I was a doctor in the Congo. My first year, they, they had me beat. Uh, I, was, I was the dean of our nursing school to help improve my French. I finally got it down. And then uh, we ended up, we were there. It was a wonderful experience. We were in the middle of nowhere. I shared last night what it was like raising four children in the middle of Africa. No roads, no internet, no electricity, no. It was, you always knew where your kids were. <laughs> because, but it was a great place. To, and we loved it. We really felt that God wanted us there. And then in 1999, at the end of our four-year term, we were thinking of coming home when rebels attacked our hospital. You may remember, Mamadou, you know African history, but in the late 1990s, there was a group of rebels in eastern Congo that were determined to overthrow the dictator, President Mobutu, who had been president for 35 years. And as they marched from the eastern part of the country across to the west, the distance from like here to the Mississippi River, it took them longer than, 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 if, they, than if they had to swim across the Atlantic. It took them a year and a half to march from east to west to overthrow the president. And along the way, they would, they would recruit child soldiers and other people from villages. And this band of 25 became a band of 25,000. And along the way, they would loot and pillage mission hospitals because Catholic and Protestant mission hospitals in the middle of the Congo were soft targets. That's where you'd go to get money and fuel and vehicles and everything else. And we were way off the beaten path. But we had a shortwave radio, and during the year, we listened as our brethren Catholic and Protestant hospitals were looted and pillaged, and we felt that they would never find our way until our daughter's fifth birthday party, we received a message from the Catholic sisters in Kikwi, a Catholic mission about 60 kilometers downriver, and they said, Dr. Bill, the rebels were just through here. Listen, it was bad. You, we know you've got kids here, you've got families, you need to go. And the next morning, our mission board sent three planes, put them on the airstrip, and we evacuated all of our families, except for the medical director, who had a last-minute last epiphany that maybe I should stay, that maybe they won't be so bad, and how could I walk away from a 400-bed hospital? And I stayed. And as the rebels came, it was bad. They came the next day, and the first place they, they went was to our nursing school, but uh, we had long since sent the nursing students home to, to other villages, and then they came to the pharmacy to get, uh, to get drugs and cash. And we had emptied everything out. All of our vehicles we hid in the forest. And as they shot their guns around and said, where are the nurses' students? Where's the money? Where's the drugs? Where are the vehicles? One of my nurses said, oh, that guy from New Hampshire in the house right up on the hill. He sent them away. <laughs> and they pulled me out of my house and brought me in front of my hospital and put me in front of a chair and put me on trial. And when, I, and when I disputed their claims that I was there to make money, they even threatened to cut my ears up. But I kept my ears. I listened, and they left. But I was sent behind rebel lines. And for 11 months, the time that it took them to get from our hospital to the capital city, I had no communication with Ann. Our mission board wanted to send Ann back to New Hampshire. Ann said, no, my husband's on the African continent, and I'm not leaving. And so they, she stayed for 11 months, and... Um, it was a difficult time. Uh, the most challenging thing was not trying to run a hospital for 11 months without fuel, pharmaceuticals, or electricity to do surgery. The hardest time was going home at night to, my, to where my kids were and thinking of. And to make a long story short, 11 months later, I, uh, the war ended. They sent a plane to get me. I knew I was in need of psychological help. I was depressed. I was angry that they sent someone to get me. How dare you send a plane to get me? Who's going to take care of these patients? I said. And they looked at me and said, yeah, 
this guy needs to go home. And they flew me home, and our mission board gave me the choice of psychotherapy or visiting churches, and that's when I came here for the first time. So this is my third visit. And we spent that year, uh, we moved back to New Hampshire. I worked part-time in our practice, and I spent the rest of the year visiting, visiting churches. And at the end of the year, I asked God again for the third time, do you really want me to go back? Lord, I'd done 12 years, and I have memories of all the depression and all, and the Lord said, trust me. And we went back. And Chris, you related the story last night about, I wasn't sure why the Lord wanted to send me back, but when we went back after our uh, year here in the state of New Hampshire, uh, we went back to the Congo in 2000. When did we go back in? Uh, it was the year after that. Um, 2000, yeah. We, we came in 99. Uh, the country was still a wreck. That They finally had a new dictator government. All um, 70 to 80% of the health care in the Congo had been rendered by Christian mission hospitals, Catholic and Protestant. They were looted and pillaged. Doctors and nurses had left. The, the country was in a shambles, as was the mission hospital that I had left behind. And on the plane ride in and when we arrived, we didn't want to stay. Actually, we had plans to be perfectly frank. We were looking at other options. I, was, I, I told God that it would be a missionary. But I had a lot of psychological baggage about going back to the country <laughs> where all had happened. And we had an offer from the Presbyterians. I was uh, to be medical director of a hospital in the Cameroons or to train family medicine residents in Madagascar. Madagascar is an island off the coast of Africa, nice beaches. And so to be honest, we went back to the Congo to pack up and say goodbye and head out to another country. But on the way in, I met someone from the U.S. Embassy in USAID who had the mandate with the U.S. government funding to help rebuild a lot of the Christian mission hospitals that had been pillaged. And one of the hospitals on the list was my hospital. We spent the year asking for $15,000 to replace medicine that we had lost. And on the way back, I met someone from USAID who offered us $1.2 million to refurbish a hospital if there was someone to manage the project. And I said, Lord, don't you want me to go to Madagascar? It's safer. The kids are school age. It's an international school. You don't want me to stay. And the Lord has a hard way of leaving us, so we stayed. And it was such a blessing. We stayed for another eight years. We confronted cholera and Ebola outbreaks, and, and it was a wonderful time. And in 2010, 10 years later, we came home. I'm trying to think when we met you, Chris. Maybe we didn't come to the church that time. But we came home uh, for another year of furlough, and we were home in for, I think, two or three months when South Sudan became a new country. South Sudan was formed as a new country in actually 2011 uh, when the Christians in the South were able to get their independence from the Arab Muslims in the North. It was a brand new country. There was a mandate from the United Nations to, if indeed there was a peace accord signed, South Sudan would, would receive dividends to build roads and bridges and schools and health care. In South Sudan, a new Christian nation born from an Arab Muslim Republic of Sudan invited Christian mission groups to come in and rebuild. And we were home, I think, and for six weeks when we received that invitation. I'm sure we had Middle Street Baptists on a list of churches to visit, but the Lord opened that door. And I said, God, are you sure? Do you want us to go now to another country where there was not even a place for us to live. We lived in a tent 
at first, and then they gave us a shipping container for the first year, which is a nice place to live, except when it's 110 degrees in the shade. And so, but it turned out to be a wonderful experience. We probably the toughest place we've ever lived, but we had an impact. And during five years, we were able to work with the government to build hospitals and healthcare facilities and train nurses how to do doctor work because there are no doctors. There were, there were 56 doctors in, in the whole country when, when, when we arrived. And we said yes, and it was wonderful. And then we finally came back here five years later. That's when I met Chris and Jamie, and you didn't have kids then. And um, I'm trying to think if that's when you had your childhood dinner. But we were home only then for a few months and went back. We were asked to go back now to eastern Congo where we have been settled for the past 10 years. I'm glad God didn't tell us about the volcanoes, the Ebola, the outbreaks, the evacuation. He only let us know little by little. But God also assured us along every step of the way that he's with us. And we learned that the most excellent place in the world, probably the safest place, is to be in the center of God's will. The lesson we have learned after 30 years. When, I was, when Chris asked me to share a verse, I shared the one from Paul that was read. Paul, one of the first missionaries, is a man I really admire. Paul has a lot of things I think I have in common with him. The Apostle Paul liked to travel. I love to travel. I love foreign cultures and languages and, you know, and you know, learning things. I don't know about you, but... Where I was raised in Cape Cod, everyone speaks and looks like me. And I just, I just love spending my life working with different cultures. And the past five years, I've been in the Middle East uh, working with Arab nations. And I really enjoy that. But Paul also had significant challenges in his life. And as I was contemplating the verse, I'd, I'd like to read about just a quick verse with my glasses Paul was recounting his career as a missionary service, and Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then beside all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. If I must boast, said Paul, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. Chris, you started off your intro to the kids by talking about how Bill and Ann are not super missionaries. We, we are super Christians. We have asked the Lord for his affirmation at every step along the way, and God proved his faithfulness. As I read about the Apostle Paul in this book, Paul was afraid many, many times, and the Lord, every time Paul shared his fear, Paul said, I am with you. Do not be afraid. I will be with you where you go. In the verse that was shared this morning, I love that verse. Paul one time came to a crossroads. He wasn't sure which country, which city to go to. And we've been to many crossroads. And Paul wanted to go to the left. And in the verse that my friend read, Paul said, No, I want you to go this way. For there were many people in that city 
who belong to me. And I think that sums up our call to missions. We don't really know where God is going to send us next. But we know, and God was speaking to a place where Paul had never been, where the word had never been shared. And as I shared with Chris last night, um, the past three years, I've spent most of my time in Arab countries. I was in Jordan for the past four weeks prior to that, um, Sudan, Mali, Somalia, with the car bombs and all. But one thing that I've learned over 30 years is I'm no longer afraid. I just really believe that the Lord is with us. And we wanted to express our thanksgiving to the Lord for his faithfulness. Paul talks about in Acts that we are clay jars. We are fragile, clay, broken jars. And that's what I feel like. But Paul said, we have this treasure, this light inside of us. And according to that power, we become the instruments that God wants us. We praise him for his power, for his faithfulness, for his patience, for putting up with all my foolishness. And for our churches, for your prayers and your support. So, 30 years, 65 years of age. This was my retirement month. We were going to come here to the state of New Hampshire, and I were looking in the real estate to see what we could purchase. But God has called us back. Wants us to be back for five more years. We signed up a few weeks ago. We leave in two weeks on August 18th. We'll be here in five years for your chowder selection. We need to come in the fall. I love the pie thing, but when I was here and when I was here when Vi Martindale was, was here, we had a chowder night here downstairs. And I talked about it for a year back in Africa. Talking and so uh, but we will be here. But we will but we will be amiss to not thank God for his faithfulness and to not thank you for your prayers and support and love. In Jesus' name. Amen.